Hello and welcome to the Complete History of Science. Series 4, Episode 3, Translatio Studi et Imperi. In the early 12th century, a young man set out in search of a book. His name was Gerard, and he was from Cremona. The book Gerard was looking for was the Almagest, Ptolemy's great work, and the most comprehensive book on astronomy, written in antiquity. The Almagest, however, was only known to Gerard and his contemporaries by title and reputation, because the work had never been translated into Latin. Gerard, however, was determined to get hold of a copy, so he set out for northern Italy on a journey to find it. Travelling by boat along the coast of southern France, he probably docked somewhere on Spain's Mediterranean shore, before beginning a multiple-day journey over land to reach his final destination, the great medieval city of Toledo. What made Gerard travel a thousand miles in search of a book? Surely a thirst for knowledge, as well as the usual ambitions of a young man eager to leave his mark, played a significant role. However, Gerard was also living through a time of great change in Western Europe. Secular education in the West had traditionally centred around the liberal arts, found in the Latin encyclopedias, but these contained little depth and provided only the barest summaries of ancient learning. By the 12th century, there was a growing awareness that subjects such as geometry and astronomy were much richer than previously imagined, and a large portion of ancient Greek thought had been lost. This shift was largely brought about by contact with the Islamic world, which demonstrated to the Christians the extent to which they had fallen behind. The primary vector through which Europeans came into contact with this new learning was Spain, which had by this point been under Islamic rule for around 400 years. Men such as Gerbert became aware of Arab sophistication as early as the 10th century and brought back to Christian Europe knowledge of geometry and astronomy. The reconquest of large parts of Islamic territory by Christian rulers hugely accelerated this revival in learning. Alfonso VI of Castile captured Toledo in 1085, and when Gerard arrived some half-century later, he would have found a vibrant, flourishing city. Built upon a hill, the city contained many twisting narrow alleyways, filled with the scent of marzipan, made from almonds growing in the orchards surrounding the city walls. The Muslims, who had ruled Toledo since the mid-8th century, planted these orchards, and the legacy of these Islamic rulers largely gave the city its character. Still, the city was also home to many Jews and Christians, who had lived relatively peacefully here throughout the long centuries of Arab rule, creating a rich mix of culture. Naturally, of most interest to Gerard were the city's many libraries. Arabic book culture far outstripped Latin, and the libraries would have dwarfed those he found at home. By way of comparison, the medieval library at Cluny, the largest in Christian Europe, is said to have held a few hundred books, while the Royal Library in Cordoba, capital of Islamic Spain, supposedly contained over 400,000. Private book ownership was similarly extensive, and if Gerard wanted to find a copy of the Almagest, his best bet 
was to look for the many private libraries owned by the Arab citizens of the city. We don't know where Gerard eventually came upon a copy of the Almagest, but perhaps it was in the home of the Banu Hud, a noble family who had once ruled the city of Zaragoza. One of their members, Yusuf al-Matamin, was himself a great mathematician, and their library was known to contain great works by Euclid, Apollonius, and Archimedes. This is only speculation, of course, and we have little record of Gerard's search for the book. But what is certain is that he did eventually find a copy. Finding the Almagest, of course, would only have been the beginning of Gerard's journey, as his goal was not just to read it, but also to translate it from Arabic into Latin. The main problem with this was that Gerard did not speak Arabic. Fortunately, this may not have been as big a barrier as it may seem, because in Toledo at the time, there were many languages spoken, reflecting the diverse population. Under the Arabs, Arabic had been the language of administration and government, but in the streets, Romance languages derived from Latin and Berber were spoken. A group known as the Mozarabs were Christians who had previously adopted Arab customs and had lived in the city while it was under Arab rule. These Mozarabs would have spoken Arabic, but also Latin, the language used in their liturgy. At least initially, Gerard very likely worked alongside these Mozarabs, who taught him the language as he worked through his translation. Quite aside from the language issue, Gerard, upon reading the Almagest, must have quickly realised the difficulty of the task he had set himself. The Almagest is a complex work, requiring advanced mathematical knowledge. In fact, a full understanding of the work is only possible if one has a thorough grasp of geometry. Gerard then must have taken a step back, and instead started with a translation of Euclid's Elements, the great ancient book of geometry. This must have been a long and arduous task, but Gerard was tenacious and determined. He had, after all, travelled hundreds of miles to find these works. He eventually completed these translations, and they stand as a testament to this tenacity. His versions of both the Elements and the Almagest are word-for-word translations of the original work, Gerard's view, shared by many of his contemporaries, was that this method of translating was the only way to preserve the meaning of a text without the risk of corruption. They saw any other form of translation as a mark of presumptuousness because a non-literal translation would become a composition of the translator rather than the original author. This is far from the modern ideal, though we must admit there is a certain logic to the idea. This mindset also proved beneficial as diagrams essential for understanding the elements in the Almagest were faithfully reproduced. Gerard, however, was not finished in Toledo. He stayed in the city for the remainder of his life, making translations from Arabic to Latin. In addition to Ptolemy, he also translated many of the medical works of Galen and made some of the earliest translations of Aristotle's natural philosophy. Gerard was not the only man making translations at this time. Indeed, Western Europe was in the grip of translation fever. 
This new European translation movement was focused almost entirely on scientific and mathematical work, with very few translations of literature, for example. The names of these translators, Adelard of Bath, Michael Scott, Burgundio of Pisa, William of Moybeck, Robert of Chester, and of course, Gerard of Cremona, reflect the Europe-wide character of this movement. In the early part of this movement, the majority of these texts were from Arabic, as these were the primary sources available at the time. Gerard, by far the most important translator from Arabic, also translated the original work of Islamic authors. In astronomy, he translated Al-Fargani's Compendium of the Science of the Stars, a simplified and updated version of Ptolemy's Almagest. He also published Thabit's Theory of Trepidation, which would be very important in the development of astronomy in the late medieval age. In medicine, the work of Al-Razi and Ibn Sina would also be translated by Gerard, and would become one of the most important sources of Galenic medicine in medieval Europe. Finally, he also translated the optical work of Al-Haytham and Al-Kindi, which would introduce the subject to the West. In the process of this translation effort, the names of the Islamic scholars would become Latinized. Al-Haytham became Al-Hazan. Ibn Sina, Avicenna. Al-Razi, Raziz and Al-Fargani became Al-Fargranas. These Latinized names survived to the present and have only recently been re-evaluated. In all, Gerard is credited with around 80 translations and a whole school of translation built up around him. By the end of his life, he was the most well-known and esteemed translator in Europe. But this wasn't to last. Renewed contact with the Byzantine Empire, mainly through Sicily, meant that many of the original Greek works became available again. And during the 13th century, a new wave of translation swept over Europe, where translators began to work from the Greek originals. This was motivated by the belief that translations through Arabic had corrupted the meaning of the Greek texts. And there may have been a kernel of truth to this idea. Arabic and Latin have very different grammatic structures, and hence literal translations may not have always captured the intended meaning. Islamic scholars had also frequently expanded and improved upon their Greek forebears, but this was not always appreciated. Some Europeans viewed scientific knowledge as static and unchanging, requiring only that it be recovered and preserved. The new wave of translators was similarly international, but just as Gerard had towered over his contemporaries as the premier translator from Arabic, so William of Moyerbeck would as the translator from Greek. Working in the mid-13th century, his work was extensive, translating the medical work of Galen and the Hippocratic Corpus, as well as mathematical treaties by Archimedes and Hero. However, William is primarily remembered as the greatest translator of Aristotle, as well as his Greek commentators, such as John Philoponus. Aristotle had already been translated through Arabic by Gerard, but many scholars were unsatisfied with the results. William was supposedly asked to concentrate his attention on Aristotle by the great Catholic philosopher Thomas Aquinas. 
The task of translating Aristotle's corpus was immense, as Aristotle's writings were not only technically difficult, but also very rough, amounting to little more than lecture notes that he had left his students. William could also not rely on native speakers to help him with the work, so undertook the laborious task of translating word for word almost the entirety of Aristotle's work himself. This would take William 20 years to complete, but ultimately, all of Aristotle's natural philosophy, including his extensive zoology, was translated into Latin. These translations would be widely dispersed, and were usually preferred to the earlier translations from Arabic. The effect that the rediscovery of Aristotle would have on Western Europe is difficult to overstate. Until the 11th century, Aristotle had been remembered purely for his logic, thanks to the translations of Boethius, while his other work was largely unknown. However, as it became available, Aristotle quickly became the centre of European intellectual life. In addition to his natural philosophy, his metaphysics, politics, ethics and aesthetics were devoured by Europeans, hungry for intellectual stimulation. He offered something no other writer could, a complete system of thought, which would impact almost all areas of medieval intellectual life. The new availability of Aristotle's works in the 12th and 13th centuries also coincided with the rise of a new institution, the university. Within this organisation, Aristotle would form a key foundation of the curriculum and would shape the early development of the university. This new burst of intellectual activity would centre around the cities of Bologna, Oxford, but especially Paris. As a new generation of thinkers emerged in the 13th century, virtually all of them would be university educated and would be influenced by this new strain of thought. Aristotle would offer this new generation a model for secular inquiry and arouse a new interest in the natural world. But we'll have to pick this story up again in the future. There'll be a break between this episode and the next, but when I return, we'll delve into the scientific achievements of the Middle Ages, before hopefully the next series proper, which will be on Copernicus. I hope you bear with me. Until next time.